Add us. Add us to your favorites. Add us to your favorites. Add us to your favorites. Are we on the air? Yes, you are. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be around this wild, wacky, and sometimes disturbing world of ours. Yes, that's the intro to the Mindset Podcast, a weekly attempt to open eyes and shedding light on what's really going on in the world, all done by ripping apart the media madness that masquerades as news. Join me, Gareth Davis, every Sunday on the Mindset Podcast. You can find the show on all major podcasting services such as iTunes, Stitcher, and so on. Or you can go directly to the main Mindset website. That's www.mindsetcentral.com. Check out the Mindset Podcast. Bring your curiosity, your opinions, and a sense of humor. And remember that some worldviews are stranger than others. Welcome to the Dead America Podcast. It's time to learn something new right now. Let's listen in with your host, Ed Waters, as he learns new things and meets new people. Today, our guest is very inspiring, and that's what she does. She is a mindset coach. We are speaking with Emily Adams. Her podcast is The Emily Adams Show. Very nice podcast, very inspiring to listen to. I recommend you going and downloading it all onto your podcatcher. So, Emily, could you please introduce yourself and let people know just a little bit more about who you are? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here today. So, a little bit about who I am. I'll try to keep it short. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I was born and raised in the Amish culture at um, and left at the age of 17. And from there, I got pregnant at 18 with my oldest and was married by 19 and had another son and then was a single mom by 23 and from there I uh, went to Purdue University uh, to get my bachelor's degree as a single mom working full-time graduated in four years one of the one many accomplishments that I am super proud of uh, it was definitely a long road but it was definitely worth it and then I got into powerlifting and I ended up losing 65 pounds as well and then from there, I fell into, uh, fell in love with who I thought was going to be the love of my life. And two years later, uh, he came home and said that he wanted a divorce. So this really led me to really discover who I was and uh, what I wanted in life. And I, when I made that choice to pull myself out of that victim mentality after divorce number two, I really took the time to sit with myself to understand what it is that I want. And by doing so, I made the decision uh, to leave the corporate world and right before COVID hits to pursue after my um, dream of just writing, speaking, and coaching. And then COVID hit, and that really made me slow down and do a lot of the internal work that I have 
avoided for years. And I found meditation for the first time in my life, and it really changed um, it really changed my life. It made me sit with myself, be still, um, do a lot of healing work, which kind of led me to into the mindset coaching of helping others uh, do the same thing. And for the first time in all my life for 32 years, I realized that I had finally found that missing piece um, that I was looking for, you know, the the self-love that I needed to give myself in was such a beautiful transformation. Um, so now I'm in the middle of um, writing my first book, one of many books, but that's currently the big highlight of it. So that's the short version of it. Well, let's dig deeper into that, Emily, because what you have said is very inspiring. You've got a lot of life experience in a short time frame. So, very true. <laughs> uh, growing up Amish, what was that really like? It it must have been very difficult. Yeah. So growing up um, in the the Amish culture, it at the time you know when you're growing up in the culture, you don't realize just what it was until you're no longer part of the culture and so in the Amish culture there is no female empowerment so the women don't work uh, the women don't like they're not leaders or anything like that and I always struggled with growing up in the culture of like not feeling like I fit in because I was the tomboy I wasn't doing the regular girl things you know learning how to cook clean sew and all those things Instead, I was outside uh, with my dad helping, you know, around the barn in any way that I could just to avoid being indoors. And, um, you know, some Amish do have electricity, others don't. I did not grow up with electricity, uh, but we did have running water and um, like our refrigerators and our stoves were gas. So we still had that stuff. So it wasn't a whole lot of difference. And we were considered what they would consider more the old order Amish, which is a you know, it's kind of in between stages of the different stages of Amish that are that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I recognize there's quite a few Amish cultures. So I listened to some of your podcasts and you talked about being grounded as an Amish child. Could you yes. tell people about that? That is <laughs> remarkable. Yeah, so I think with uh, – so – as growing up, you know, we, it was very strict. It was very, very strict. Like, um, and I think a lot of people don't understand just how strict the culture is and the rules that they have around it. So for example, females have to make sure that their dress is a certain length. You know, you can only wear certain color socks. Your hair has to be done a certain way. There's a rule for everything. And that goes along with if you get caught drinking or smoking or, you know, those kind of things, like that's not allowed. And so I had gotten caught uh, drinking and it was my second time I got caught and and I got grounded and interesting enough like the first time I got caught I got grounded I think for like a month or two and then the second time I got caught I was I was grounded and the grounding was basically you had to go wherever your parents went so you didn't get to go to any of the youth gatherings you didn't get to go anywhere that your parents didn't go you were with them at all times which at the age of 16 and 17, that's the last thing you want to, you want to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was part of it being grounded. And I think that kind of led me to one, I was very bitter at my parents because 
the second time I got grounded, it was the longest grounding that anyone had gotten in the family. So I felt like, you know, man, I'm being like singled out. It's like, it's not fair. You know, at that age, it just feels very unfair and not justified. We, you know, I was trying to justify it, but you don't question growing up in the Amish qu- culture. You don't question your parents. Your parents tell you this is what it is and you accept it and you move on. You don't have a choice. You don't have a voice. And so I think that experience, even though in the moment it was very miserable and for years I hung on to that anger of that and I had to forgive them. But that experience also taught me as a parent now, as a single mom, how to work with my boys and have a collaborative relationship with them. So as a parent, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal, but instead I'm giving them a voice and we are working with each other and we're having a relationship. So does that work out? Oh, absolutely. It's it's one of the – so uh, interesting enough, uh, when I first started, you know, as a parent, I was very, very strict with my boys. It was very strict. And I didn't really change my parenting style until – I realized during COVID, you know, when I had a transformation myself, I realized, you know, my boys have a lot of the similar patterns that I had. And I was parenting in a very different way of not collaborating, not allowing my boys to have a voice. You know, my boys know, you know, this is respectful and this is not respectful. But if they have a concern and they want to bring it up and they want to have a voice, I will listen to it. That doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to change the discipline or change whatever the consequences I've given them. Right. That's, that's wise. You know, you, you have to have a voice in the world, no matter what age you are, no matter what sex you are. And, you know, women, they, they really have it hard in this world. Uh, Men have made it pretty difficult. I'm one of them, you know, and I've recognized that through being married to my wife, learning to really respect and listen to what women have to say, that's very important to have a very good relationship. If if you're not empowered by feeling that somebody's actually listening, you're you're not going to be happy anyway. So it's very important to empower people. And I like what you do giving women that empowerment. So, yes, I, I mean, that's something that I'm very passionate about. And I think a part of that came from years of not having a voice and then being in automotive industry for over a decade, 25% female, I had the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, that must have been quite unique anyway, being on in the automotive industry you know, I, I come from that background a little bit, too, and the mechanic end of it, uh, that's filled with men working with men. So being able to empower yourself to work around that atmosphere, can you talk a little bit about that for us? Yeah, and a part of that was, one, I had to understand that I had a voice. I had to first understand, okay, I have a voice. And as I grew in the leadership positions, I realized, you know, I there was a lot of stereotyping. There was a lot of stereotyping. And if I wanted to get my point across, I had to be extra loud, not 
like you like I had to really get my point across and I always was always double checking you know it was like I was working extra hard just to make sure all my facts were straight and everything so when I did present something they knew like she was serious and so part of empowering myself was gaining that confidence and that didn't that didn't happen overnight it was really believing in myself and believing that I had to say was important. And as a leader, I was fighting for my team. And that really gave me the confidence to know that, you know, I'm fighting for something. And as I built that, I realized, you know, as a leader, it is my duty and my responsibility to to stand up and empower myself or my team's not going to be there. And then I kind of just transitioned that more into other bits and pieces of my life, which the powerlifting really, really empowered me because it's a very empowering company or not company, but like it's a very empowering sports and there's a lot of female empowerment and it doesn't matter age, race, sex, gender. It doesn't matter. You just show up and, and it doesn't matter even what you lift. It doesn't matter if you're the weakest person there, you still feel empowered and by joining that community that really showed me, you know, there's a lot of strong females out there. Yes, I've met quite a few strong females and what they are doing is remarkable and we need more of that. Uh we we need to empower each other. Uh a lot of it is mindset. You talk Absolutely. about mindset. So what are some of the common mindsets that actually hold people back? Yeah, when it comes to empowerment, one of the most common uh, mindsets is the victim mentality. And it's having the victim mindset. And a lot of times when we think about victim mindset, we think about someone that, you know, been physically abused or verbally abused or been a victim of something. But that's not necessarily the case. Uh, we play the victim mindset by saying different things to ourselves, you know, our self-talk. Anytime we were like, well, I can't do that because it's too hard, or I don't like to um, work out because I don't like to sweat, or I can't lose weight because I don't like vegetables. All these things are really coming from more of a victim mindset versus an empowered mindset. And until you are aware of where your mindset is at, you can't make the changes. So a lot of it is awareness of, am I really playing victim mindset here? And that will hold you back. The victim mindset will just keep you trapped because you keep making excuses and you keep telling stories for yourself. And then you justify those stories. And I know this because I've done it multiple times in my life. And one of the examples is leaving, you know, a toxic marriage, being in a marriage that was verbally abusive and a lot of alcohol, I used to tell myself over and over, I can't leave because I don't know how to be a single mom. Because I wasn't raised that, you know, I was raised divorce is wrong. And I wasn't raised to even know what does that look like to be a single mom? I had no idea. Because it wasn't just something that I wasn't aware of. And so I would play victim to this. And I would just allow myself to keep, you know, stay stuck there until I decided, you know, I'm going to pull myself out. And then I pulled myself. I had to make that decision and I had to be aware of what I was doing. And you're not always going to know your next step. It'll it'll come to you, but being aware of the victim mentality is the very first thing. And that, that will hold you back. Right. You know, 
fear holds us back a lot of the times and facing yes. that fear. Uh, you talk about that in an episode, your episode number 28. Uh, that is a big factor in everybody's life, no matter what they're doing, if they cannot face the fear. And a lot of that comes from, I think, ourselves, looking at ourselves and being unsure of who we are. So we've got to be able to challenge ourselves, look at ourselves really deep, and understand how powerful we truly are. Mm, we, yes. And that goes back to that mindset. So Absolutely. What, what type of uh, things do you think people should do to overcome a bad marriage and really, you know, because a lot of people are stuck in this divorce mindset and I don't like to see divorce, but if people are not uh, compatible, you really need to look in other directions. How did you do that? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. And it's one that's not easy because, you know, there was if there was anything that I always said, you know, I never, ever wanted to get divorced. And I just thought, you know, because in the Amish culture, you don't get divorced. And there's so much stigma around, you know, divorce and being a single parent. And I know that. And that was really hard for me. And I fought. So the very first marriage, I really, really fought for it. Like, everything tried you know gave it gave it all and you know we had gotten to the point where it, after the first time I was like you know I'm done I told him you know I'm done and I want to divorce he had agreed to go to counseling and you know get help for alcohol and I was like okay perfect you know we're on a good trend here you know we're taking the action and then it was like two weeks later it was done and then we were right back into the same cycle and after going through that cycle for a few times I realized you know it's not it's not going to work. And then really what was the deal breaker kind of pushed me over the edge is when he came home drunk and it affected my boys. And if you have children and you know it's affecting their life and you you stay in a marriage where you're like, well, I don't want to get divorced because of my children, your children are going to pick up whatever's going on. So either way, you're going to impact them. And that's how, where I had gotten to the point where I was like, you know what, I'm done. And I ended up falling for divorce. It took me three times. It took me three times to make that switch. Um, and then for my second one, I tried, we tried therapy. We tried to go through, you know, um, counseling and stuff. And it had gotten to the point where the counselor had told us that um, if, cause he didn't want to do work. And he, he's like, well, I can no longer help you. And sitting at, a counselor and hearing that is is really a reality that I don't wish anyone to go through, but it opened my eyes and I was like, okay, like I had to come to terms with letting it go. So I think if you're stuck in a marriage and you don't know, should you stay or should you go, ask yourself some questions, ask yourself some really hard questions and get, get honest with yourself. And don't worry about the shame and the, you know, everybody else's judgment because a lot of times we get so wrapped up in what everybody else is going to think that we start beating ourselves up for it. 
and that never does anyone good. And the, some of the questions I would say to ask yourself is one, if counseling and that is not an option and you can't work it out or you've tried and you just keep going back into the same cycle, then ask yourself if that's where you want to be in the next five years, 10 years, or 20 years and get really honest and also know that you are worthy of, of the life that you want. You're worthy of that. And I had to understand that. And I didn't know that going through. Like, I didn't feel like I deserved that. I just feel like I felt like I deserved everything bad. But part of that came back from the programming that I was programmed when I left at the age of 17, that, you know, my life was a suck as soon as I left the Amish culture. So I was still somewhat programmed that way. And making those decisions, having those honest conversations with your spouse, you know, that you're married. And if if they they're not willing to work on it, then you you have to make that decision. Yeah. Well, you know, not only did you empower yourself, but by making that decision and understanding that your children had to come before anything else, that's very special. Because I come from a broken home. My parents were divorced. My mother had a few stepfathers, and they they forgot to inform the children. They forgot to think about the children or how it would affect and impact the children. So mm-hmm. I think when when somebody is going through that, especially when they have children, they really have to include the children in some form did did you actually speak to your children about this at all in any form? Were they old enough to understand what was happening at the time? So with their dad, no, they were not old enough. They were they were two and four. I did. Um, they would ask me things like, you know, you know, why why is Daddy doing that? And you know, I would explain to them, you know, he was drinking alcohol, and this is what alcohol does. You know, I would explain those things. And I will say anyone that is going through a divorce or through a custody battle, do not give in to ever talking bad about the other parent because that is something that your child will remember for the rest of their life. And you can give them the real facts, but you keep your own emotion out of it. Did I want to tell my boys, yeah, I don't like your dad and he's horrible and he's all these things? Yes, I wanted to tell them that, but that's not fair to them because they have to make their own decision. They have their own opinions. So what I would do is I would just give them the facts, like he was drinking alcohol and then this is what happens. And I would leave it at that. Don't bash the other parents when you're going through a divorce because that is never, never, does no one good, does zero good. And then my second divorce, as I was going through it, I did sit you know, both of my boys down and, you know, we had a conversation with them or I had the conversation with them of, you know, what is going on and, you know, this is what happened. And I left it at that. Again, didn't bash my partner because they still had their own opinions. You know, I want my boys to develop their own opinions and, and know that as they look back, as they get older and they look back at the situation, they're going to know. But I see a lot where when parents go through a divorce and they split and they have this nasty custody battle, one parent is trying to turn the kids against the other parent and they're working against each other instead of allowing 
you know, just show up for your child and leave all that emotion out of how you feel. Let them still love their other parents. Yeah, I think that's very well put. So let's talk about when you got your dream job and you realized you had something bigger to offer the world. Talk about yeah. that. Yeah, so uh, from day one when I left the Amish, man, all I wanted to do was I wanted to be like this corporate career woman, like who had this, you know, amazing corporate career, had it all together. And um, I had planned on getting the Amish culture only goes to eighth grade, which is equivalent to a sixth grade education. And I had planned on leaving the Amish, getting my GED and going straight into college and working, you know, while I am in college. But it didn't go planned like that. Um, I did get my GED so I could get a job, and then I got pregnant. And then I, my, during my first marriage, like college was not an option; it wasn't supported at all. And then when I got divorced, I ended up going to college and worked my way up in the automotive world, and ended up, you know, getting a really good leadership position. And my second divorce, it really made me sit back and take a look at my life. And I had known, like, you know, even before the divorce that I was called to do something bigger, but I didn't really know what it was. And I couldn't figure it out. And I kind of just pushed it back. You know, I just like, ah, you know, it's okay. Like, I'll one day I'll figure it out. And I just kind of like kept pushing it back. But the voice got louder and louder. <laughs> and then I had taken some time off work to move and I kind of had this thought of, you know, my corporate job as much as I wanted to hang on to those leadership titles and I wanted to, you know, keep seeing how far I could go because I want to be the president of the company or the CEO or something like I wanted that the top of the line job and I realized it wasn't it wasn't filling me up and I was so drained and part of the reason why I was so drained, and this is especially for the females out there, is in an environment in the automotive industry where it's 25% female, I had to be in my masculine energy so much that I was so drained by the end of the day because I couldn't show up and be my true self because I had to be extra, like, I had to be extra loud. I had to be, you know, work extra hard and always in the masculine energy because that's the environment I was in. And I realized this, and I was like, I need to make some changes, especially for my boys. I was tired of not being around my boys and being with my boys. And so I made the decision to leave. I kind of did it quietly. I didn't tell a whole lot of people because I knew as soon as people would find out, you know, I would start getting questions. And as soon as people did find out, you know, I did get, like, questions and comments of, like, are you crazy? Like, are you going through a midlife crisis? Like, um, do you have a sugar daddy? Like all these things. Um, so it was interesting. I was like, no, none of those. Um, but uh, it was definitely a leap of faith um, for sure, because there's no way that I had anything planned out and it definitely didn't go as planned either. But um, something that was, it was a very powerful move and something I know that opened up a lot of doors for me. Incredible. Yeah. So that segues into uh, your blog. You have a great blog, and you talk about what is self-love and also 10 ways you can implement self-love. Could you talk to people about that? Because that's 
very powerful. We can't start anything before we love ourselves. Oh man, let me tell you, <laughs> love. Yes, I can go on and on about this topic. And it, and the the one thing I will say is you can't show up and love someone else either until you truly love yourself. Until you truly love yourself, you're not going to be able to show up as the person you want to be. And self-love is not um, buying yourself stuff and all these things of, you know, getting all these these materialistic things, but it's more of the internal stuff that you're doing for yourself. And part of me, my journey to self-love was for years, I always looked in partners to love me, right? So I was looking for them to love me, but there were still areas of my life that I couldn't love. And I realized self-love is loving yourself, even when you feel like you messed up. It's loving yourself instead of judging judging yourself for all the things that you didn't do you know it's choosing choosing to love yourself even if you're not where you want to be at and it takes it takes a lot of practice and gabby bernstein's in one of her books had said choose love and that always stuck with me and so i made it one of my daily things to always ask myself how can i choose love today for myself and for others. And I had to understand unconditional love to start with before I could really unconditional love myself. And there are still days, like I'm just being true transparent here, there are still days where I will catch myself going down the path of not having self-love. You know, we get caught up in this, you know, in our head or the ego or whatever you want to call it, and we start listening to this self-talk that doesn't serve us. And so I do find myself still catch that way. But my example of unconditional love is the way my boys have always loved me. No matter what, they've always loved me, right? And so I look at them and I always love them. So it's kind of that thing. So now I can know I need to do the same thing for myself. And part of that self-love is, you know, forgiving yourself. Start with by forgiving yourself and stop judging yourself and showing up for yourself and saying no to things. All those are ways that you can really love yourself. You've got a podcast. I do. Emily Adams Show. What inspired that and what kicked it off? How did you put that all together? Yeah, so um, COVID, you know, hit. And I was like, man, I am just going to pitch myself to all these podcasts and I'm going to get my story out. I ended up doing over 50 podcast interviews in less than two months. And I told myself, I'm tired of doing podcast interviews. I'm going to start my own. But I waited because I was in so, so much in my head about starting my podcast. And I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I don't know. I don't want to niche it down, all these things. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to name it the Emily Adams show. I'm going to talk about whatever I want to talk about. And we're just going to go with it. And that's what I did. So super messy action. But my podcast is definitely my baby. So it's grown a lot. And I absolutely love podcasting. I love podcasting. This is how we change the world, Emily. You know, yes. you are a remarkable podcaster. And I want to encourage you to keep going. What you're doing is making an impact. And the one thing that I found out about podcasting, 
you just never know who's listening and how far your voice is actually going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, the stats on Ellipson where I host my podcast have shown me that. And what I saw was like in 12 different countries. I was like, what? Like I was yep. so shocked. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. So you talked about having a 30 day self discovery course. Could you talk just a little bit about that? For yeah. Yeah. So um, what this 30 day self discovery course is, it really is a lot of internal work. And I created it because it's everything that I've had to do my entire life to figure out who I actually am. And, you know, we're, we are constantly involved, evolving as humans. That's what we were created to do. And so when you go through this course, it's a lot of internal work. It's a lot of reviewing who you are and what you want, who your what your identity is. Coming from the Amish culture to where I'm at now, I had to completely shift all of my identity because it like it wasn't serving me. And I still find myself changing. I'm not the same person I was last year. And so that's what I teach in this course. And I wanted to make it very easy for those that don't necessarily want to spend hours doing homework or hours doing coursework, but it is less than like 10 minutes a day and just go through it each day. And by the end of the 30 days, you can develop your own plan to keep growing and evolving into the person you want to be. For my listeners, you can tell the power that just comes out of Emily. Emily, how can my listeners get a hold of you and get involved with you? Yeah, so I share all of my social media links on emilyadams.net. I am very active on my Instagram stories, um, and I always tell everyone, Anyone that I talk to, like, just because I am a mindset coach and I do these things, I'm no different than you. If you have questions, please send me a message. Or if anything resonates, I love just to connect with others. Well, that's terrific. And what you do is very inspiring. I want to say thank you for being on the Dead America podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening into the podcast episode today. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. Also, please follow us on any of your podcast players. Or if you'd like to get a little more personal with us and really identify what we truly are about and get involved with what we are doing, make sure you go over to the Google Play Store and download our new app. We can't wait to get involved with you. And that's going to finish up this episode of the Dead America podcast. Make sure you come back next week and follow along for another great interview. I'm Ed Waters, out.